I want to speak today about being prepared for Jesus, prepared to see Jesus, prepared to hear Jesus, prepared to receive Jesus. Um, And I think what uh, Tom was talking about, even taking communion at home with your family or even alone, that is a process of preparing your own heart to see and experience Jesus. And I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful um, reminder and act to do even in our own homes. There was one time Aaron and I were um, fasting and praying for an extended period of time, but every night we would take communion and communion just became, it was the only thing we were eating, right? So it just became so important and valuable. We took big pieces of bread, <laughs> but it really did something in my spirit that reminding me of my hunger and thirst for Jesus. So I just want to pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, we want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to touch you. We want to receive you. And I pray that as I speak today, as we uh, look at scripture today, that all the noise and all the stress and all the things around us that burden us, they would be secondary to seeing you and experiencing you. I just pray for that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, and I was sharing this the other day and reminded this, reminded of this the other day. In 2007, I had a dream. It was a short dream um, that I was in Jerusalem with a Bible scholar who was a rabbi. And it was, it was pretty much that short. I just remember walking through the streets of Jerusalem with this rabbi. And, um, and then there was just one thing he said to me, it was like, you know, dreams, they can be kind of all around. All of a sudden he looked at me and he said, study the last four chapters of Matthew before the passion. So I fell back to sleep, you know, whatever. I woke up the next morning and I was like, I had a dream. And in my dream, there was a rabbi and the rabbi, that must've been Jesus, And I just had this realization that I had a dream where I saw Jesus and I was so excited because I could just feel the love of this rabbi. We were talking, you know, history and the Bible and all of this stuff. I was so excited. Um, And I was like, I'm special, right? You all know I'm special, right? (laughs) That's how I felt after this dream until I went and looked (laughs) at the last four chapters before the passion. And the last four chapters start with, woe to you teachers of the law, Pharisees, hypocrites, one whole chapter of woes, seven woes to Pharisees and hypocrites. And I was like, Jesus, I just had this encounter with you. And now are you calling me a hypocrite? Am I a Pharisee? Whatever, you know, you just go through all that self-examination and like, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? The next few chapters about the signs of the end of the age and the return of Jesus and the day and the hour are unknown. And I was like, I hate those verses, Jesus. I don't like all the different interpretations of end time theology. Um, As a kid, I had fear about all of that and the end times and all of that. I just said, Jesus, why do you want me to study this? I don't want to study this. And then the last chapter is Matthew 25 with the parable of the 10 virgins, the talents and the sheep and the goats. And again, unfortunately, I was reading them through a bit of a fear lens, a bit of a 
controversial lens, a fear of a, a judgment lens. And I didn't like it. Now that was 2007. I am so thankful to report, hallelujah, that when I look at those chapters, I don't see them that way anymore. I'm so thankful to know what God has done in my life. And he actually was preparing me. I actually read all the chapters, did some preliminary study. And then I said, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. So I just kind of held it there for the Lord. And then just as the years went by, God just started showing me just this beautiful stuff about those chapters. It was so cool. Why do I tell you that story? First of all, because God wants to speak to us in dreams. So I am praying that my kids, that my neighbors, that you, that we all have dreams because God speaks to us in dreams. I hear story after story of people who encounter a rabbi, a teacher, Jesus in a dream, and it, it kickstarts their journey of faith. It kickstarts something in them to see Jesus in a new way. Dreams are unexpected. We can't control them, can we? That's how God comes sometimes, in the unexpected, in the different ways than you imagine, and he comes and he speaks to you in a dream. So that's one. Dreams are unexpected, and yet Jesus appears and speaks to us. Um, I'm also telling you that because today I'm going to tell a story from Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. Now, Matthew 25 has three parables in it. And for the next three weeks, we're going to hit each parable. We'll start today with the parable of the bridesmaids and then the parable of um, the talents and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. So stay tuned. But here's what's important to know about these parables. I told you all those other chapters were talking about the end times, right? Um, Jesus was Jesus uses these parables to show us how we're supposed to respond to signs of the end of the age, to the unknowns of the hour we're in. Jesus knows the times we live in, the difficulties, the pain, the violence that we have personally, as a community, nationally, even globally. Our news stories are no surprise to Jesus, and they're not much different than they were for the first century Christians either. Jesus loved his first century Christian disciples so much that he prepared them for the difficult times ahead, the destruction of Jerusalem and all the things that happened there. Jesus loves us so much that he prepares us for what's happening right now. Isn't, isn't God cool? Just so amazing. He loves us so much that whatever day and hour unknown that we find ourselves in, He's there preparing us how to see him, how to find him, how to look for his coming, how to receive him in dreams, how to see him in creation, how to see him through one another. There's this idea, though, in all of these passages that we have to keep guard of ourselves so that we're not caught off guard when Jesus comes. We can miss what God is doing if we're not ready to see and hear and receive what God is doing. Matthew 24, 44 says we have to be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's what I like about the dream analogy. <laughs> I can't say, okay, God, 4 a.m., I'll have a dream, please. <laughs> and I want it to be about this, that, and that, and I want it to be a dream that I want to study later. <laughs> 
Jesus comes in an unexpected way to us. Tiffany spoke about that being in prison and the other prison being in jail and the other jailmate coming and sitting next to her and knowing, I think God sent that's Jesus. Jesus just protected me in this jail cell. God uses people and dreams and, and all sorts of things to reveal Jesus to us. Jesus is always at work, always on the move, but often when we least expect it and in the most unexpected ways. So Matthew 25 gives us three parables about what we should be doing in these crazy times. The parable of the virgins, just a quick summary of each to give you the big picture. The parable of the 10 virgins speaks to us personally, me as an individual about being watchful and ready for the bridegroom. Our first priority is our personal preparation and alertness to what Jesus is doing. That's the first one. The parable of the talents speaks about our willingness to take risks be people of faith and actions with what God has given us, our gifts, our talents, our treasures. We don't withdraw, we don't hide, we don't bury. Instead, we sow, we invest. We're liberal, we're risky with what God has given us. We're, we're generous people with the things that, talents that God has given us. And the third one, the parable of the sheep and goats, teaches us about how we treat others in the midst of these times. How do you know if you're a sheep or a goat? Read it this week. Read it, read it. <laughs> Prepare yourself, meditate on it. But it's all about how we respond to the hungry and the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. That's what it comes down to. That's how we know the sheep and the goats is our care for others. So personal preparation and watchfulness for Jesus, active faith with the gifts and talents that God gives us, and care for the hurting around us. That's how we respond to the chaos of our world. So let's look today at the parable of the 10 virgins. I've got a lot of introduction. We're going to read it about halfway through. So hold on for the ride here. <laughs> In the parable of the ten virgins, we've got the foolish and the wise bridesmaids. The question that I ask myself when I read this passage is, am I foolish or am I wise when it comes to being prepared to see Jesus? Before we read this story, a few things about the context. Um, in Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, there were three stages to a wedding. There was the engagement when the families. Um, all came together and started off the whole process. There was preparation, and it wasn't just for a wedding ceremony. That's kind of what all of our focus tends to be on after we're engaged: is the flowers, the bridesmaids, the you know the location, the venue, the dessert, what the cake, whatever it is. Back then, they were actually even coming to agreement on how they would treat one another and how they would care for one another in their families. It was like preparation for life. And then there's ceremony. Um, the ceremony had so many elements, but one of the most important was a procession. Um, and the procession from the home of the bride to the home of the groom could take up to seven days. Or, you know, it was, a, it was somewhere within that time frame. I mean, it was a long process. There were lots of 
lots of parts of the festivities included. And that's why often they would have torches or lamps, depending on which commentator. Lots of commentators say they were torches. Lots of commentators say they were lamps. I don't know. You guys can read and ask the Holy Spirit to show you in a dream. But <laughs> I want to look at both the lamp and the torch, and we can choose our own adventure, right? <laughs> but it, the women, um, one thing we need to know about both lamps and torches, so does it really matter? is lamps were kind of um, these clay pots that had little reserves of oil in them. And you could hold them in your hand and take them with you wherever you went. But it would run out of oil, right? So in a, in a Jewish household at this time, the women would wake up in the night and refuel the lamps throughout the night so that the flame wasn't extinguished. I'm so glad that wasn't my job. First, we wake up with babies, and now we wake up with lamps. No, thank you. <laughs> no fun. <laughs> so um, that was one tradition of keeping that lamp alive so it wouldn't burn out. The other thing is when you went on procession, when the Romans came to Jesus in the night to arrest him in Gethsemane, they had torches big torches. And a lot of people say in this parable, the wedding procession was going with torches. And with a torch, you had to re-oil it every 15 minutes. So if you were on procession with an oil torch, you had people carrying oil reserves with you so that you could re-light um, your torch. So think about that. Think about how much effort it takes to maintain your lamp to maintain your torch. Um, also, from engagement to ceremony, this process could take years. It wasn't an elopement process. This was a years-long process. I guess it would probably depend on the families involved and the community involved. As we talk about the parable of the 10 bridesmaids, look for references to time and timing. Think about that. The time is unknown. The hour is unknown. Think also about joy, because after all, weddings are joyous and joyful occasions. Healthy weddings are full of food, laughter, dancing, celebration, pre-party, post-party, <laughs> pictures, all of the things. It's full of joy. A wedding is a joyous occasion. Little bit more context in case you've never heard Jesus referenced to as a bridegroom. Many of us, that could be a new concept. Jesus in Matthew 9 refers to himself as a groom. Matthew 22, right there before those four chapters, <laughs> Jesus tells the story of a king preparing a feast for his son, and he's referring to himself. Throughout the Old Testament, we read references to God as the groom and Israel, God's people. That's us now. We're part of God's people as the bride. Speaking about Jerusalem, the prophetic and poetic picture of God's people, the prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 62. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. That sounds joyful to me. 
Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Jesus is asking his listeners in this parable to watch for him as a bride watches for her groom. When I was dating Aaron, you know, the number one question is, when will I see him again? <laughs> right? When will I see him again? We didn't have cell phones. When can I talk to him again? When can I see him again? And even now, I do. I just want to be with him most of the time. <laughs> but really, I hate it when he goes off for work. I hate it when he had to travel. There's something about being together. We want to be with one another. And the final picture in Revelation, Revelation 19.7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. There's this metaphor throughout scripture about the joy of the wedding feast. But Matthew 25 isn't a story about the bride and groom. It's actually primarily a story about the bridesmaids. Bridesmaids back then are much like bridesmaids today. We're responsible for preparing the bride for the groom. We see this community in the Song of Songs. There's the, there's the two main characters, the lover and the beloved, but each of them have friends. It's a community thing. It isn't just a couple thing. It's a community thing. There's friends of the bride, the daughters of Jerusalem. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, you have two roles in this metaphor. Collectively, we're the bride. Individually, well, even collectively, we're friends of the bride. We serve as friends of the bride. We get to tell everyone or of the groom, excuse me. Oh, friends of the bride, but we get to tell everyone about the groom. <laughs> Think about the disciples. They were all Jesus's friends and followers, and yet they were commanded to go and make other followers, other friends, bring others in. It's never a solitary endeavor. I love what John the Baptist says in John 3, 28 through 29. I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Listen in there. There's, there's waiting and listening for the bridegroom, and there's joy when we hear him. There's this connection between waiting and listening and joy. We're full of joy. We're full of joy because God delights in us and rejoices over us. But we're full of joy because like John the Baptist, we're pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah. And after waiting and listening, when we hear that voice, he's coming, he's here. There's joy. So let's read this parable, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. 
At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood out calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But when he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So let's unpack this a little bit more. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Talking with our family on Mother's Day lunch, <laughs> we were all talking about the Kentucky Derby because did you all hear about that? Like all the horses were set to race and then one dropped out and they brought in another one and the odds were 80 to one that this horse was gonna win. And he was at the back of the pack the whole time. And then in the last lap, made it to the front. Isn't that amazing? But this story is different. We've got 50-50, our odds are 50-50. In other words, the odds are pretty, <laughs> the odds are not against us to be not prepared. <laughs> There's a 50-50 chance that we, won't, that we will be prepared to see what God is doing. I don't like those odds. Still, you know, I want to see what God is doing. So what do I need to do to change those odds? I need to bring oil for my lamp. We need extra oil. What might the lamps and torches represent? Remember the scripture, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Maybe that lamp is the word of God. Maybe it's scripture. Maybe it's what we know, what's easy to remember. Maybe it's just a torch. <laughs> Maybe it's just a symbol. But we know that oil often represents the spirit. The spirit of the Lord, says Jesus, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. In Isaiah 61, in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost came and people were filled with the spirit. And what happened? Tongues of fire. So again, we have that parallel of a lamp and a torch with fire and the Holy Spirit. In John 5, 39 through 40, these Jewish leaders are harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. And this is how he replies. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to receive this life, to come to me to receive this life. Sometimes we can have the word in scripture, but we have no oil. We have no spirit in it. We're not coming to the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to open our eyes, to bring fire to our life so we can see the activity of what God is doing in the earth. We need the Holy Spirit in us to see what he's doing. We need more than scripture. We absolutely need scripture. It's, 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 our, it's our base, but we need oil to light it up 
to bring fire, to bring light to it, to bring joy. There's so much about the Holy Spirit and joy. You just see it over and over again. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. 2 Timothy 3.5 says that sometimes we can have a form of godliness, but deny its power. That's what I imagine it means to walk around with a torch that's not lit or have a lamp with no oil in it. Oh, it, there's a form of godliness, but there's power with the oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, it says, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I so love that there is no criticism <laughs> that everyone fell asleep. <laughs> all 10 bridesmaids fell asleep. I love that Jesus, I love that God and scripture allow us a rest, allow us to take a break, allow us to sleep and be at peace even while we're waiting. I just, I love the paradox of that. This is a, this is a, a parable about being ready and yet we get to sleep and rest. There are times of rest but what was the problem? What was the part that they, what was the criticism Jesus was saying? It's like, you don't have enough oil. You haven't prepared for more oil. We're going, without oil, we're going to burn out. Anybody have a car or kids driving cars? Anybody learn the hard way that cars need oil? It's happened to almost, I'm sure, one out of every three of us in this room. Your cars need oil. Without oil, we're going to burn out. And what happens when we burn out? We burn bridges. We burn holes in our pockets. We get burnt. Burnout. I want burnout. I want to be here for the long haul. I love that this parable makes space for sleep and rest, but I don't ever want to lose the fuel. I want to constantly refuel, making preparations for oil in my jar. How do you do that? What are your preparations? What does your jar look like? What happens when you run out of oil? Do you go to your friend and say, give me some oil. I need some oil right now. Have you ever borrowed a big, beautiful diesel truck to move all your stuff? And then in kindness to the person who lent you the car, you go and you fill it up with unleaded fuel. <laughs> that happens too, right? <laughs> we, this is just stuff we do on accident sometimes. <laughs> we need to go to the, the Holy Spirit is our oil. Don't go to any alternative fuels. <laughs> We have one, one fuel, and it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the oil we need. The refusal of the five bridesmaids to give oil to the other five, I was like, that's so selfish when I first read it. Like, that, that's not how we are. We're generous people. We're lavish people. We share. We encourage one another. We love one another. We bear one another's burdens. And that is absolutely true. But there comes a point where you have to learn how to seek the Lord 
and the Holy Spirit, there comes, there comes a point where you open your heart to the Holy Spirit. I, I can't open the doors of your heart to the Holy Spirit. I can say, come on, Jesus, he's standing at the door of your heart. Open the door, open the door. I can say, look, I opened the door. Look what God has done in my life. Look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in me. But I can't, we can't do that for one another. We have to make that choice to open our hearts to the Lord. I read a story this week in a, in a book I was reading about a, a teenager who, who'd come to youth group and this guy with prophetic gifting came to the youth group and she didn't know Jesus. She wasn't a follower of Jesus. She was just kind of tiptoeing in and saying, maybe I'm interested in this. And this is how beautiful the Holy Spirit is. He, he gave this prophetic guy a picture of her and and he, and she came and he said, I feel like the Lord shown me a picture of you. Would you like to hear it? And she said, yes. And he said, I see Jesus in the forest holding food in his hand. And I see you like a fawn or a little deer. And you, and, and Jesus is just waiting for you. And he's not going to scare you away. And you get to come at your own pace to Jesus. That's how kind the Holy Spirit is. That's how gracious God is, but we still make the choice to come and feed. We still make the choice to come and receive the oil of joy from the Lord. When the bridegroom comes, the feast begins and the doors are locked and the bride's braids say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But what is Jesus's response? His response is, I don't know you. I don't know you. That's the point of the whole parable. Jesus wants to know you. Jesus wants to know you. That's the point. It's not whether or not you're going to be separated. It's not... This, like we can, we can get caught up in so many of the things. Jesus wants to know you. Will you prepare to know him? Jesus wants to know us. Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Are you prepared for Jesus? How are you preparing your oil reserves for the long wait? When the newsreels are alarming, when nations rise and fall, when the return of the bridegroom still seems way, a way long ways off, what sustains you? What sustains you? When Nehemiah an Old Testament prophet was bringing all the exiles back from, back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. They were tired. There was resistance. There were, it was sad. It was depressing. It was tough. And what does Nehemiah say? This is one of my mom's favorite verses. I grew up on this verse. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The, the joy is in the oil. I got to hear, I got to worship with this big gospel choir called Kingdom Choir. They're based out of the UK. And I was in a worship session where this big gospel choir um, kind of surprised us all by going into a serious time of grief and lament and crying. This is the same gospel choir that sang at um, Megan Markle and Harry's, Prince Harry's wedding. They know how to worship, I'm telling you folks. <laughs> and they just took us all into this time of weeping and crying because of the trials of 2020 and 2021. And we went low, we cried hard. And then weeping may last for the night and joy comes in the morning. And then they started celebrating and they started dancing and they started singing and they can sing like nothing. I just crazy, just beautiful joy, celebration. And I was like, how do you hold those two things in the same space? And it's because they know, these singers know that you're not going to make it through the weeping if you don't have the joy of the morning. And they were calling it in. They were, they were reaching down from heaven and grabbing that joy for everybody else in this time. And I thought, that's what I want, Lord. I want the oil of joy. How do you prepare your oil reserves? Let's just take 30 seconds. We're going to pause and be quiet and just ask the Holy Spirit, how am I preparing my oil reserves? How do you prepare for Jesus? I'll tell you some of the things I do. It could look different for you, right? It looks different for all of us. But I spend time in prayer, talking to God. Sometimes I go walking and talk to God. Sometimes um, I just read scripture. Sometimes I sing. Sometimes I'm just quiet and still. One of the ways I watch the oil in my tank is I beware of, of what I'm putting in my fuel tank. What am I putting in my reserves? Is the stuff I'm listening to, is the stuff I'm hearing, is the stuff I'm seeing the right kind of fuel for my journey? Is it helping me look for Jesus, see Jesus? I like Tom's idea of taking communion to ground you in that. I ask daily for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. I pray in the morning, Holy Spirit, lead me today. And then I stop throughout the day and I say, Holy Spirit, any course adjustments, any, were you over there and I missed you? Were you doing this and I missed you? Were you, 
I don't want to miss you. And Holy Spirit is so generous and kind. We don't need to be afraid of missing. But we do, we'll miss it if we don't prepare. It's like, I'm not afraid, but I also know, oh, I can miss it. <laughs> so I want to be prepared. I love this passage that I, read in, I heard in my devotionals this week. Proverbs 8, 34 through 35. Of course, I'm preparing for this message, and this pops up in my devotional. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Proverbs 8, 34 through 35. Joyful are those who are listening. Joyful for those who are looking. Joyful are those who are watching. When we do that, we find life and favor from the Lord. Amen. Let's stand. Um, we're just going to finish with prayer today. Um, yeah, let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, when we experience the uncertainty and the confusion of all the things happening around us and, and the challenges and the difficulties, Lord, we just want to exchange fear for preparation. Today, I just exchange um, fear for preparation of seeing you. Any place where there's um, turmoil or burden or distress, Lord, I say, I'm going to fill my lamp with oil. And I'm going to tell everybody else that, the, that you're coming. I'm going to point everybody to the groom and the celebration and the feast and the wedding. Today, I choose to fill my lamp with oil. Remind me, Lord, I want to be prepared for you this week. And, I, and in the waiting, in the preparation, in the long haul that it is, God, you wrote these words thousands of years ago. And here we are. Lord, I want to be prepared to see you coming, to see you come. Prepare me. Help me be filled with fuel. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you fill us up right now? Would you fill us up with your spirit? Would you put tongues of fire on our head? We want to be the living torches. We want to be the lamps that burn for you in this time and age. Let that be our focus in the middle of everything else. You, Lord, you, Lord. Prepare your bride, prepare your people. In Jesus' name, amen.